Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. You guys are so awesome. I don't think, I don't even know if you guys realize, but man, they're so gifted and not just, um, not just uh, gifted enough to play in a YMCA, but we got like pro uh, worship team up here. I don't know if you know uh, Chuck Siong, but he is like our, he is what Gary calls our break the glass guy. It's like break the glass in case of emergency. And so that is Chuck. So Chuck, thanks for being with us this morning. I'll secretly tell you, my father-in-law, like you are his favorite worship leader of all time. He loves watching you worship. I don't know if anyone have ever seen worship the Lord more on drums than Chuck. So that's my secret. If I could play an instrument, that's what I would want to do, just like you, Chuck. So thanks for being here. And all of you guys, and for Kaylee, y'all are awesome. So thanks for leading us. Well, good morning and happy Easter. Uh, I don't know what your Easter mornings have looked like so far. If that has been like us and you have kids, I am off center. I'm gonna move this right over here. If you have kids and they were up early, typically our kids are really up early on a Sunday morning anyways, but they kind of slept in today. Uh, and I left right after they got up. But um, I don't know if the Easter Bunny visited you. The Easter Bunny visited me about three or four days ago. I don't like sweets very much. I don't like suit things that are super sweet, except I love Cadbury eggs. Yes, thank you, Lindsay. Does anyone love Cadbury eggs? Hope, Lindsay, me, and Graham. That's it. So Shay, I love them. They're so good. So Shay bought me, like she'll get me Cadbury eggs, and she doesn't even like them. They're too sweet for her. And I don't like sweet things, but I don't know if it's from childhood or what. But Shay bought me a Cadbury, like an egg that was about this big, and it had 16 Cadbury eggs inside this big egg. Isn't that amazing? And so I told Shay, um, I said, when I opened it, I was like, babe, I don't, can't believe I'm about to say this, but I don't think I could eat all these 16 eggs. And then I started eating them. I ate four in one day. I was like, I'll be fine. I can do it. I can, I can, I can power through. So uh, I don't know if your morning has been like that. You know, I grew up in a very traditional Methodist church. It was really sweet and we kind of had, you know, our typical Easter traditions. And I still have my basket that my grandmother, Mimi, uh, um, needle-pointed me. And it is dirty. Like, oh, the kids got it out. And they think, Dad, you need your Easter basket out too. And it's so cute. It's like this little needle-pointed basket. And that thing has been through some Easter love over the years. And so uh, it is looking pretty gnarly. But I don't get anything in that. Uh, the kids, I think they were going to put something in there. But I haven't been home yet, so... We'll see, hopefully more Cadbury eggs. Um, but last night, uh, I was, we got home. We had gone to Shay's mom's yesterday to just celebrate Easter with them and do a little egg hunt and uh, to be and have dinner together. And so we went and we got home last night and the kids were getting in bed. And so I went in my office and kind of started uh, working and just kind of looking over message. And I totally got distracted by worship music. Like I was going to work last night on my message, but then I like got in this rabbit hole of listening to worship. So it was sweet. Anyways, the kids were going to bed and my six-year-old Barrett, he had gone to, there was a church in Liberty Hill that had like an outdoor egg hunt. And so their grandmother brought them to that. And so they went and they got a basket and in their basket was a little, um, one of those little like 
micro Bibles. No, that's not the word, but you know what I'm talking about. The tiny little, like two inch. It has the New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs in it. So I got this Bible. So he brings it to me last night. I'm sitting in my office. He's like, dad, he's like, hey, will you read this to me? I was like, son, it's past your bedtime. Go to bed. No, I did not. So I was like, well, buddy, I mean, it is so small. I don't even know if I could read the font and those pages are so thin. I was like, well, but I said, I have a Bible in my office that's a children's storybook Bible. I said, how about I read that as it has some pictures? He said, yes. Oh, man, so sweet. He went and got it off my shelf and he brought it over and he sat on the couch with me and he put the, he got under the blanket with me. And so he wanted me to read the story of Easter, the story of Jesus um, defeating death. And so I flipped open to that day. I looked it up in the beginning, and I flipped open to that story in the Bible uh, where Jesus, the, the women go to the tomb, and the Savior's not here. I thought, no, I need to start further back, right? For him to truly understand the resurrection, the power of Jesus Christ, I have to start at death. So I flipped the chapter back or whatever, and I read the story of Jesus's death. And it, it, it was a kid's version, but it shows Jesus being beaten and flogged, and he's carrying this cross up Calvary. And this, the, the Bible, the storybook Bible said he's spit on, um, and that he has this crown of thorns, and it's beaten into his head. And then the next page shows Jesus on the cross, and he, blood is coming down his face. I mean, it's a children's illustration, but my six-year-old started to cry. I mean, he started crying. He was like, and he saw these soldiers there. He's like, man, if I was a soldier, daddy, I'd beat up all these people. And he just started crying, and he wanted a hug. And it got, I mean, I got emotional thinking about it. And so we read on, and we finished that chapter, and he just cried, and he wanted a hug. I mean, big Six-year-old tears rolling down his face. And I said, do you want to keep reading? Like, do you, want to, do you want to hear what we celebrate tomorrow? He said, yes. And so we read the next chapter and read the story of Easter. Uh, it ends with Jesus being raised from the dead. And in his little Bible, he could still see the holes in his hand. And Barrett said, why did they do that? Why did they nail him to the cross? I said, well, buddy, um, our sins put him there. And, and Jesus at any moment could have come down off that cross. But he went to the cross so that we could be forgiven and have life again. And it was a really sweet moment with the six-year-old. And you know, I just left it there. You know, I pray for my kids uh, and where they are with Jesus. And I pray for you and where you are with Jesus. And yeah, I don't want to manipulate or pressure them in that moment, but I want the Lord to speak to his heart for him to realize that Jesus did that for him. And that's what I want for us. I don't want it just for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I want to know it for every one of us today. And so this morning is going to look a little bit different and might not be the most Eastery message uh, because I think what was appropriate for Barrett my six-year-old is appropriate for us. I don't think that we can truly, I don't think that we can truly understand Jesus bearing the weight of the sins of the world and the death that he died on the cross and being resurrected if we don't truly understand death. How can we understand life without death? 
that life and death have this autonomous relationship that in a weird way they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're, they're, they're tied to one another. That truly you can't have life if there is no death. And you can't have death if there is no life. That, that life is a replacement of death and death is a replacement of life. Those two things can't coexist. You can't have a little of either one of them. It is all death or all life. And so what I want us to do today is to consider both those things. So we're going to start this morning in Ezekiel chapter 37, which I know does not feel very Eastery. And no, uh, Ezekiel is not uh, a New Testament book of the Bible. It is in the Old Testament. So if you would, flip to Ezekiel 37, and we're going to consider what death truly is uh, and what it really looks like biblically. So as you're flipping there, we're going to have the, the Scripture up here on the screen and, and Bibles in the back if you, if you need a Bible off this table over here. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll jump in. Dear Lord, we thank you. I thank you last night for just that conversation, Jesus, that if nothing else goes the way I hope, or anticipate, or expect, Lord, that I got to sit on the couch with my six-year-old boy and tell him what you did for the cross, for the forgiveness of his sins. God, that is a gift um, that I can't thank you enough for, that moment. God, I thank you that it is a story that every one of us needs to hear. Every moment, every day, not just on Easter, not just when we go to church, but every breath that we take, God, we need to remember and consider what you did on the cross for our sins, God, and how you conquered death. So I just pray this morning, Lord, that as we look at death, uh, Lord, in a strange way, and in a kingdom way, it gives us perspective on life and what it means to truly have life in you. I pray for every person that is in this room right now and is online through church at home, Jesus, that does not know you as their Lord and Savior. God, would you move powerfully? God, would you set captives free? Would you replace life? Or would you replace death with life? God, we thank you. We pray that you speak to us now and you open our hearts. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So Ezekiel chapter 37 is where we're going to be. And don't worry, we are going to get to the Easter story. So if you're uh, bummed that we are not uh, squarely placed in the resurrection story, uh, this Ezekiel 37 is a perfect precursor and launches us into what true resurrection looks like. And so... I'll give you a little bit of context of what Ezekiel is. Ezekiel is a prophet from the Old Testament. This, for me, is probably my favorite Old Testament book of the Bible. There are so many really amazing prophecies and, and images in Ezekiel, and I love imagery. Shay and I were talking, my wife and I were talking yesterday, uh, or on Friday, we went on a day date. Our kids were at grandma's, and so we went hiking and spent the day together. And I was talking to her about Ezekiel and how much this, you know, is my favorite book in the Old Testament. And hers is Exodus. And she talked about how that's funny because we have very different personalities. And I like kind of, uh, I'm not 
artsy-fartsy, but I like those sort of things. I like imagery and symbolism and these ideas where Shea is a very factual person and she likes Exodus because this happened and this happened and it's very thematic in the story. And so um, it walks through. But Ezekiel's different. Ezekiel's a prophet from the Lord um, and God shows Ezekiel and communicates through Ezekiel by showing him these kind of images and dreams. And they're not dreams. They're visions and they're images that mean things. And so... Uh, that's what we're going to look at today in Ezekiel 37. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had this really, have you ever had like a really vivid dream? This is yes, this is no. Vivid dream, okay, most yeses, okay. Uh, so I had this really vivid dream a couple weeks ago, and there's only been a few times in my life that I've really felt like I had a dream and it was from the Lord. And I feel like this was one of them. And I've prayed for that before. I've like gone to bed like, oh Lord, if you'll just communicate to me through this dream tonight and like help me dream. And then I have like the most weird nonsensical dream that is definitely not from God that, you know, like it's just random and, and you know, at night. But every now and then I'll have this dream. And so a couple weeks ago I had this dream and it was very vivid. And one of the things I remember in this dream, it was uh, about, I went to see someone that, uh, an old friend, someone that I used to do ministry with. And there's some, um, there's some tension or some not broken relationship but our relationship isn't what it used to be. And I was invited to their house. And I remember we got in this conversation. I remember feeling things that I wanted to say. And so, I mean, the, the dream was so vivid and so real that I, not only what happened in the dream, I remember how I felt in the dream. I remember feeling like I want to say this, but this isn't kind or this isn't right or I should withhold this. And so this vision that Ezekiel gets is like that, but times 10. He's not dreaming. God gives him this vision, but it's very real. And you're going to see as we get into it, just how significant and how alive this story becomes. And so as we get in, as I read, we're going to add one element to this, to this and I, for this morning. Is I have a friend, a guy named Justin Gerhardt, who used to be the lead minister at Round Rock Church of Christ, which is just down the street. And um, they're a really sweet church that they've we partnered with them before in the past that I've taught at his church. And so this past year, he left uh, his role as lead minister there and started um, kind of doing some creative content um, ministry type of thing. And so it's really interesting. So one of the things he does is he does this podcast called Holy Ghost Stories, and it's really good. And so he tells these Old Testament stories, but uh, he adds music or he adds sound effects, and he does a ton of research and study into them to kind of give a deeper understanding of context of what's going on. And it's very thematic, and it's really interesting. So if you're ever interested, um, you're going to hear some of it this today. Because he did, one of his Holy Ghost stories he did was over this scripture in Ezekiel 37. And so I'm going to play a few clips. And I just want to forewarn you on that. And the, the heart of it is to, to really get us in the story. So Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 1, the Lord shows this vision and gives this prophecy to Ezekiel. It says this, verse 1, he says, The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. 
So Jacob is going to put a little picture. This is what I envision the Valley of Dry Bones looking like. And so they're going to drop the lights, and we're going to play a little clip from his podcast. And so I want you to imagine you being there. Something is wrong. There are bones everywhere. What slaughter field is this? How many animals died here? And how did they die? He's prompted forward by Yahweh, tiptoeing almost, to avoid the bones. There are too many, though. They crunch sporadically under his feet like walnuts. Then Ezekiel glimpses an unmistakable shape. The curve, the twin caves flanking a triangular abyss. It's a human skull. Everything in his body tenses, recoils when he realizes all of these bones are human. All right, Holy Ghost stories. So the story of Ezekiel walking through this valley and seeing this valley of bones upon bones, these very dry bones, and God ends by asking him this question. He says, he asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And so we can hear that or we can all have this image in our mind if you've ever seen a horror movie or something very spooky or heard a ghost story, you can envision what that would look like. And the truth is, is that regardless or not of whether we've ever seen death, we recognize death. We see these dead bones. We see them very dry. We know that they're void of life. No one has to tell you that. No one has to explain that to you. Death is very recognizable. You know, during this, uh, this past February, when we had our winter storm uh, that came through and froze everything. Uh, most of our stuff made it, but we had a few things at our house die, particularly these bushes out in front of our house that are brown and dead. Now, I am no arborist or uh, I know nothing about gardening, but I know those bushes are dead. How do you know they're dead? Because they're brown they're unhealthy, they're dry. If I go over and I take the branch and I break the branch, it's not green, it's dry. If I touch the leaves, they crackle in my hand and those bushes are dead. They're void of life. And so we get this image and we get this idea is that we recognize death. And death is not something that we don't all agree on. Every one of us has the concept of what death looks like Every one of us has some sort of concept of the death of our own life. It's a reality that every one of us is going to face one day without exception. And so as we consider the cross, as we consider Jesus defeating death, we look at what death truly is. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done first aid training or if you've ever uh, like been a lifeguard. Yes, I was a lifeguard in college. Uh, I think that was standard for most people. And so the, when first aid training, when, they, when you come upon a body, hopefully you never have to. I know Kaylee Ho has literally saved someone that was drowning one time. But you come upon a body, the first thing you do is what? You check your surroundings. Okay, the second thing you do is what? Yeah, you check for a pulse. You check for breath, you check for a pulse, and you call 911, right? You have these standard practices. You check your surrounding for no danger, uh, and then you check for a pulse. You check for life. 
You want to see, is there life within this body? Are they unconscious? Are they breathing? Is their heart beating? Because those things signify life and they signify death. I don't know if you ever watched The Office. I do. I love the scene where Dwight Schrute and they do the CPR training and the mummy. Uh, it's like a, with an armless and a bodiless mummy, mummy. And he says, do we really want to revive him? Does he have any quality of life? He has no arms or legs. And Kevin says, yes. He's like, Kevin, that's basically how you live now. And no, it's a silly question, but death is recognizable. And scripture talks as much about death as it does life. Ecclesiastes chapter nine says, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a dog, even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. Even their name is forgotten. Their love their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have part in anything that happens under the sun. You see, death is not just the beating of a heart or the breath, but scripture says the very person of who we are is gone. That your name will be forgotten. That what you're passionate about, the things that make you, you are done. The things that are the pretty sides of you and what you're passionate and gifted in and the things that are ugly about you, your jealousy, your rage. When your life is over, those things end because that's what truly makes us who we are. That's what truly identifies us as a person. It's not the CPR training that either has life and has pulse or breath or does not. It's who you are inside. That's what life truly is. And when he walks through this valley of bones, he doesn't recognize them. There's no names. There's no bodies. It's just bones piled upon bones, unrecognizable, unremembered, nothing to signify one from the next. And he paints this picture of this is what death looks like. And he takes him through this valley of dry bones, but this place, this valley, it's not a geographical location. You can't, there's no latitude and longitude to this place. You can't go there now and do an archaeological dig and dig up the valley of dry bones. That God is not bringing Ezekiel to the Kidron Valley or some sort of special geographical place. It, this place that he's showing him is a spiritual place. It's a location in a valley among the spiritual realm. It's the part of us and our soul and who we are. And what the death of a person truly looks like is very similar to what it looks like in the physical. In Psalm 23, which is a psalm that's often read at funerals, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I wonder, is this the same place as the Valley of Dry Bones? When David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and that God never forsakes us, there's no place we go that are beyond him. So I think regardless, as a starting point, when we consider death, we can all agree that death is a real thing and that we must all contend with it. 
Is there anyone in here that would disagree with me that death is not real and death is not something that we have to contend with? So we're on the same page. Let's continue reading. Ezekiel 37 verse 4 says, Then he said to me, this is the Lord, the Spirit of God saying to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. So, so the Lord says to Ezekiel, he says, you're gonna speak to these, this pile of bones and here's what you're gonna say. The word of the Lord is gonna go out from your mouth. So in verse seven, Ezekiel faithfully prophesies and speaks to his bones. Verse seven says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So again, we're going to listen to another clip from... uh, from the podcast on this same we'll see. So if you guys would, take a listen. Somewhere deep in the heart of this valley of the shadow of death, a femur carves a shallow line in the dust, dragged across the ground by an invisible hand. Somewhere else, a handful of human teeth, molars and bicuspids and incisors, strewn like dice on the soil, tumble resolutely toward a jawbone. A rattling sound fills the air as clavicles and ribs, vertebrae and ulnas, jigsaw pieces of skull and scattered phalanges bump past one another and eventually collide in orderly arrays. Ezekiel's eyes widen as a sternum, perhaps, crawls across his foot. As they move, the bones come alive. Red and yellow marrow courses through their vacant cavities, manufacturing millions of blood cells. Collagen fibers are endowed with new vitality. Osteocytes awaken and set osteoblasts and osteoclasts to work. The bones are not dry anymore. Skeletons now take form, thousands of them stitched together, prone, the valley full of new shapes, ordered and white, like a field ready for harvest. Ezekiel, trembling now, faces the skulls, their empty eye sockets gazing vacantly up, down, sideways, and continues the prophecy given to him as Yahweh looks on. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. He winces a bit, no doubt, at the thought of what is apparently about to happen. At the sound of his words, Yahweh's words, pink tissue wraps itself layer upon layer around the bones of one skeleton after another. How many are there? 50,000? Twice that? 
The sounds are now wet, squishy, as myofibrils woven together on some unseen loom form muscle fibers. Muscle fibers wind into fascicles. Fascicles wind finally into muscles bound by membranes of silvery connective tissue. Acetylcholine gushes from the cells, allowing myosin to bind with actin so that the muscles can contract and move the nascent legs and fingers and lips. But there is no movement yet. They all lie there, limp. So, something is wrong. There are nothing is wrong. I promise. So this prophecy, God says this word is go out, and Ezekiel uh, faithfully says these words that God has given him. And it's, again, I said a bit strange that God is calling him to speak to these dead bones after he said, is there any life? Can these bones come to life? And he begins to speak to these bones. And as Justin's podcast described, they slowly begin to build and come together bone to bone, joint to joint, tendons stretched across, muscles, skin, perfectly aligned as these body is put back together. And I don't know if you, so for Christmas, Shay and I have this, this Merry Christmas sign that goes on our mantle. Uh, and that poor thing, I didn't realize, but we got rid of it this year, Shay said. But it's one of those Christmas things that you get out every year, and every year it's broken. Like it's this, this not piece of art, but it says Merry Christmas, and it goes. And every year for Christmas, I get out, and I, I get the hot glue gun, and I jimmy-rig this thing back together. And I glue it, and I'm terrible with a hot glue gun. There's like the hot glue gun string that's everywhere, and it still says Merry Christmas, but each year, one after another, as I try to rebuild this thing, uh, this broken piece of decoration for Christmas, it gets worse and worse and worse, and it was never goes back to its original form. It never goes back to the way it was originally built to be. But the scripture, as God describes, he begins to put these bones back perfectly aligned in true restoration and true revival in Christ and true reconciliation looks like this. It looks like perfection. And that when we try to put things back together, when we try to restore stuff, it's like my Merry Christmas sign or if you've ever dropped a plate or a dish that your family loves and you try to assemble it and eventually you just say, we've just got to let this go. Like it's not broken in one place, it's broken in a million and it's gone. But the Lord in this story, he perfectly reassembles these bodies and these bodies aren't that were lying there, they're unrecognizable, these pile of bones and they come together uh, in God's perfect order and his perfect purpose is that when these bones are put together, they're put together in the right order. And as we consider Jesus and the cross and what resurrection looks like, we begin to realize that resurrection is miraculous. That to say something that's dead to come to life is impossible. And the reason that this valley of dry bones is so significant is that they're dry is that they're so void of life. They're so beyond resuscitation. If I, if I walk over here and I kill over right here on the floor, right, you're gonna come over and you're gonna check for my pulse, you're gonna do all the things, you're gonna call 911, but if you walk in and there's a skeleton on the floor, no one's reviving a skeleton, right? You don't need to check the pulse. You don't need to begin chest compressions. It's dead, right? We don't need a doctor. We don't need EMS to come signify a time of death. We know that this has been dead for a long time. But God perfectly 
in this prophecy puts these bodies back as if they were, uh, had they, as if they had never died. And he puts every piece back to where it belongs. But at the end of this, it ends by saying this in verse eight, but there was no breath in them, that there was no breath in them. Skeleton does not have breath. Death does not have breath. It doesn't have a beating heart. Is that despite these bodies being reassembled miraculously, they're still not resurrected. They may look like they have life. They may look like they're able, but if there's no breath in them, there is no life. So scripture continues in verse nine. It says, and then he said to me, this is the Lord to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So this, this significance of what breath being the significance of life is an ancient and a biblical idea and term that's used throughout scripture. It's the, it's the word ruah, and it means several different things in scripture. It means different things, but they mean the same thing at the same time, if that makes any sense. I'll try to to explain. So the, the word ruach can be, can be translated as it is here as breath. Uh, in Genesis chapter two, it says, says this, it says, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed ruach into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. It's how God created Adam and Eve. He made their bodies out of the dust, but it wasn't until God ruached into their nostrils literally breathe into their nostrils to where they received life, to where, to where, they, where life became. And before it was just a corpse or a cadaver. And, and the, the Ruach is the same as the spirit of God. It signifies God's spirit being breathed out. It can also be translated as wind. In Genesis, the, very, the second verse in the entire Bible, it says, in the, it says, the world and the earth was formless and void. It was empty and darkness was over the, the deep and the wind of God, the spirit of God, the ruach hovered over the waters. Is that this word and this breath signifies the spirit of God, the wind that blows. And it's significant that death is truly replaced with life when there's breath in the lungs. When we're, and it's the same as true as us in Christ. Is that when we receive the Lord, when we're born again as Christ follows, it's when his spirit enters us. It's literally the breath of God, the wind of God, the spirit of God entering into our bodies that we have life. And it signifies life. And the truth is, is the prophecy of Ezekiel 37 is a prophecy of death to life, which breaks every bounds of science, the laws of nature, it doesn't happen anywhere else. It is not something being born. A resurrection is taking something that was dead completely and totally void of life and bringing it back to life. And it's miraculous. And it's against science. It's against the laws of nature. And it is miraculous. 
And it's what the Lord offers to our lives. So let's consider life and the cross. As we look at death and what resurrection truly looks like, let's look to the cross and what Jesus offers. And Luke chapter 24 says this. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But these men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And the Easter story is a story of death being replaced with life. Scripture says that we are dead in our transgressions, that the thing that makes you who you are, I'm not talking about your skin, I'm not talking about your literal vessel, we all know this is gonna die, but it's the part that's inside that makes you, you. That the wages of our sin, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the wage of sin is death, that the true you and who you are dies And that image of the valley of dry bones as the Lord looks at the spiritual landscape of the earth is what he sees. That's what death looks like. So these women, they go to this tomb and they bring with them spices. Why do they bring spices with them? Because death stinks. They bring this to embalm his body when Jesus was, was crucified on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they quickly prepare his body. But these women, after three days, because for the Jewish people, three days signified death, that you weren't officially, legally dead until you had been good and dead for three days. I don't know if they were afraid of people that were buried alive. I don't know why. I'm sure there's a good reason. But that signified death. So after three days, they go and they take these spices to embalm the body. What were they expecting to find in that tomb? Death. They were going to find a body, a cadaver. They were going to honor Jesus and not honor who he was or who he is, but honor who he was, the life that he lived previous to his death. And they were expecting death. When the angels appeared to them, it says, in their fright, the women bound down. Why were they frightened? Because what they expected in that tomb was death. They didn't expect life. They didn't expect an angel. They expected a body and a corpse. And he asked them this question, why do you look for the living among the dead? And that's why they were there. They went to that tomb to see the dead, not the living. So as we close, I'm gonna have the worship team come back up. And I want to ask you the same question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? As these women went to this tomb expecting to find death, instead Jesus was conquering death. 1 Corinthians 15 says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So as we close, I want you to consider. Are you searching for what is dead 
or are you searching for what is life? As we live this in this world, as we go day in and day out, none of us argue about death, but we don't agree on what is truly life and life everlasting. And we put all this time and all this energy and all this effort into things of this world that will die, that will pass away, that will be ruined by moths and rust and who you are and your reputation and how much money that you make does not matter. You will be forgotten. But what Jesus offers is life eternal. It's the same thing that Jesus said in his ministry when he met the woman at the well. He said, why are you drawing from a well of water that is only going to leave you thirsty? That's never gonna quench your thirst. And he says, but whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Is it what are we drinking after that's only gonna leave us more thirsty, that will not satisfy as he told the Pharisees, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy the valley of dry bones. He says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest, abundant life. He said, what Jesus offers us is a resurrected life in him, a life everlasting. He said, every one of us is gonna face death physically. But in the spiritual realm, is there life or is there death? When Nicodemus came to him and asked him the truth, he asked Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, I baptized my nephew um, when we were on a trip and we were in Hawaii and I baptized my eight-year-old nephew and I talked to him about being born again. He asked the same question. He says, how can you be born again? I said, that's a great question. That's what Nicodemus asked. He said, how can I climb back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, you're talking about earthly things and I'm talking about kingdom, eternal, heavenly things. He says, you don't get it. I'm not talking about the spirit physical. I'm talking about the spiritual. And he told him, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn but to save the world through him. is that Jesus didn't die on the cross to condemn you to your death. He came so that you could be forgiven and saved from that. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. We remember a life that is given freely, that can't be earned, that was without condition. And so as we close, I wanna encourage you to consider your life, to ask yourself, am I looking for the dead? Am I looking for the living among the dead? Am I chasing after things of this world? Do I think if I could only work harder, if I only could strive more, that I'm gonna be satisfied? Or have I truly given my life to Christ? Said yes to Jesus. As we close in this song, if that is you and you are here this morning, or you are online through church at home, and you have not said yes to the Lord, and you haven't put your faith and your trust in Him, I'm telling you, there is life eternal and it is freely given for you to let go of that stone that is dragging you to the depths 
of debt, to let go of that and trust the Lord. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.